0: Day, it is remembering all our fallen dead who have sacrificed their lives for our freedom. Jesus said, "Greater love has no man than this, that He laid down his life for his friends." John 15:13. Amen. And uh, many of these men and women, young and old, have laid down their lives uh, for you and I to have the liberty that we have to the degree in this nation as we do. Praise God. And it is better than really anywhere else on the face of the earth. You may disagree with that. You certainly have your opinion. But maybe you haven't lived some other places like I have. Maybe you haven't been outside of the country to see what other countries are like. I'm not speaking that boastfully. Amen. A lot of people, you know, look down upon what we have and and, and look down upon it because they've never been outside of our country. And uh, it is is, uh, sad. Uh, nevertheless, again, I'm an immigrant. I speak as one. I'm a naturalized citizen, and i always like to live under communism. And I visited 28 countries in Europe, 44 states of the Union, six provinces of Canada. And it was all not because of vacation and tours. It was because of deputation and doing missions work. But I've seen a lot. I've met with a lot of people of all kinds, colors, shades, languages, and cultures. Amen. And, uh, and I can tell you, we have a good thing. We have a good thing. We got to pray. Hallelujah that our nation stay strong because while we're strong, we can help other nations on the face of the earth. And the devil doesn't like that. First Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17 verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, or Cherith in Hebrew, a K K instead of Ch. That is before Jordan. Go hide thyself by the brook Cherith. But verse 1 in particular is where I want to go this morning. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, Said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. I want to preach to you this morning on the title of the subject, When You Stand Alone. When you stand alone. As Christians, in this particular time in history of where we stand, many times where we are, we stand alone. But we're not alone hallelujah god is with us lord god almighty we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your presence we thank you for your glory lord you are a great god and a good god we thank you for and i pray for the next few moments lord that you would anoint this preacher anoint my lips of clay anoint my mind my heart my soul my spirit god i pray that you would speak to your people touch their hearts and their minds and let the words sink deep down in their souls and help us, O oh Lord, with this message to stand stronger than ever before. For the hour demands it, and so do you. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. you may be seated. Thank you. Thank you for coming, and thank you for standing. Hallelujah. I'm about to embark on a series of messages, perhaps, uh, on Elijah. And this is, this is probably just the first installment because I have been reading a lot about Elijah, and I'd like to, to, to share some things with you. And I think that, that the subject of Elijah has a lot, a lot to offer for you and I, especially in the day and, and age that we live in. And uh, when you look at Elijah, he's one of the, one of the most prominent men uh, in the Bible, as far as characters are concerned. Uh, he definitely stood alone for righteousness, and that's one of the reasons that I want to talk about him and cover him. Uh, But he has a lot in common with Moses and with our Lord Jesus Christ. Moses in particular, when you look at that as an Old Testament uh, saints, if you please, both were associated with fire on the mountains. Both of them were companions of God in Mount Sinai. Both of them went to Mount Sinai. Both of them were associated with the desert and spent many years there. Both of them wandered in the desert for a period of about 40, a number 40, the 40 years, 40 days. Both of them conducted a 40-day fast, and there's only three in the Bible that has done that, a complete fast for 40 days. That's Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. There were powerful examples of intercessory prayer, and we have... uh, References to him both, not just in the Old Testament, but in the new as well. Jesus referred to him. James referred to him about the power of persistent prayer. Uh, both uh, were uh, chased out of uh, countries of pagan leaders. Uh, both knew God from a miraculous uh, uh Supernatural way in God's provisions and, and his miraculous power working through them. Both of them had uh, had had access to God's provision and for, for not for themselves but for people as well with respect to food and with water. Um they both had uh, had experience in parting waters. Moses parted the Red Sea, Elijah, he parted Jordan. Hallelujah. And both of them had successors that were very closely mentored by them. Moses had Joshua, and Elijah had Elisha. And both of them died where God intervened in their burial. The Bible says that Moses didn't die. He did die, but it was God that buried him. And Elijah, well, he had a no-death contract. He got out of this world on a chariot of fire. And he went straight to heaven. Praise the name of the Lord. So there's a lot of uh, similarity between Moses and Elijah. And in fact, I don't believe it's by accident that for this reason we meet with Moses and Elijah. With Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. And, uh, and th- there's, there's a lot to be said. A lot to be considered when we talk about Elijah. And this is why I want to begin talking to you about him. But. As we go into the, the life of Elijah and we go into his ministry, uh, in, in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, uh, he he just comes out of nowhere. He The Bible doesn't give us any background about him except what we read in verse 1. But I want to give a little background, historically speaking, of, of how this man made his appearance on the scene at a very crucial time in the life of Israel. You have to understand that The King Solomon, who was the third king of Israel, each of them, each of the three kings ruled for 40 years. King David ruled for 40. Solomon's dad. Then before him, King Saul 40 years. 120 years for the first three kings. That's not bad. 140 years, 40 years of rule on each. And then after Solomon, because Solomon sinned with idolatry and marrying many foreign women whom God commanded specifically that Israel, including the king, should not do. But you know, sometimes people get into power and they think that they're above the law. Well, hallelujah. It's the truth anyhow. And so Solomon was judged and God said, I'm going to take the kingdom from you and I'm going to divide it, but I'm not going to do it in your lifetime. I'm going to do it in the lifetime of your son. And Rehoboam became the next king after Solomon, and the kingdom became divided under him. The northern ten tribes under uh, King Jeroboam, ordained by God also for that purpose, started a new lineage, a dynasty of kings, that lasted several hundred years until their captivity into Assyria by 721 B.C. And I'm talking about Solomon ruling around 1000 A.D., Uh, A few years after that, then his son Rehoboam taken over, and then the kingdom split. So about a 1,020-something around there uh, began the the dynasty of northern Israel, the ten tribes through Rehoboam and all his lineage. About 300 years or so it lasted. Judea, the southern kingdom, uh, under under, uh, Jeroboam was the northern kingdom. I messed up on the name again. Hallelujah. Jeroboam, and northern kingdom, 10 tribes for 300 years, the dynasty through Jeroboam. Judah became the kingdom of the south, and it began, hallelujah, with Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Jeroboam to the north, Rehoboam to the south. Amen. And so uh, as the decades went by, uh, it, it just became worse with respect to idolatry and the sins of the people, particularly in Israel. Judah lasted a little bit longer than Israel did because they had leadership that were aligned with God's will and word more so than Israel was. And uh, they had a few leaders. You know, leadership makes all the difference in the world in the direction of a nation. The the, The direction, the posterity, and the prosperity, and the successes and the failures has a lot to do with who is in power. And you can see it very clearly in the life of Israel and it's reflected in the life of really most every country on the face of the earth. But six decades of history went by already by the time we come to chapter 17 of 1 Kings. In this divided kingdom, the land of Israel to the north, the northern ten tribes beginning with Jeroboam all the way down one after another. One king ruled only six years, another king ruled only twelve years. In fact, when we come down to the time of, of Elijah, uh, we have uh, people who uh, who were exceedingly wicked. Now uh, We have King Ahab, who's in power, but before him was his dad Omri, and Omri uh, was an evil man. But throughout the decades, you'll see this 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 uh, uh, this repetitive. Uh, succession of of murder, and one murderer killing another murderer, one mass murderer killing another mass murderer, and and, and one assassin killing another assassin, and a line of godless men succeeding one after the other, and the one coming after seemed always worse than the one before him. And so when... King Omri, who was Ahab's father, who came to the throne, he ruled only 12 years when he died. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 16.25, the previous chapter to what we read, but Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. Now that's his dad, King Ahab's father. And you think it couldn't get any worse until Ahab came to the scene. In 16, chapter 1, Kings 16, verse 30, it says this about his son Ahab. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him, even more than his dad. And so Ahab didn't have a very good reputation. On top of that, he married a woman by the name of Jezebel, the daughter of King Zidon, north of of Israel in Lebanon and Phoenicia back in those days. he She was the dominant partner in that marriage. She dominated him. And uh, Ahab's administration was referred to what you would call, in times past anyway, a petticoat government, meaning the woman was behind the throne. And she was running the show, as she did. Ahab wasn't a very mature, and very strong leader at all. And that led to his wickedness and to his downfall. It was Jezebel, his wife, that instituted Baal worship and institutionalized it in the land of Israel, contrary to the word of God. Now, King Ahab allowed this to happen under his watch. He didn't put his foot down. We can't do that. It's against the word of God. We cannot worship. There is no other God. But nevertheless, he didn't raise his voice or his authority. And Baal worship was instituted in Israel, the God of rain and fertility and the God of the lands that would give success and would give fertility and would give prosperity. And you know, when when heathen worship practices and these barbaric sacrifices were instituted, the wickedness in the country only increased. You can see it in our country as well. Hallelujah. I remember in 1962 when I first came to this country, started in elementary school, we used to stand and we used to pray in school every morning, public school. Bible was read. And when you went to choir, we were singing songs about God and climbing Jacob's ladder. We were singing all kinds of Christian songs. That was about 60 years ago. We've come a long way, baby, as the commercial used to say. But in 60 years of my life, I've seen some great changes, a lot of good things, a lot of bad things. And we've gotten really worse, much worse. And, uh, and I can tell you that the crime and a lot of things that we're suffering as consequences today from turning away from our, our Judeo-Christian ethics and values has complicated our situation and really made things worse. And I'm afraid to say, because of institutionalized wickedness, institutionalized atheism, is only going to make matters much, much worse. And I'm afraid for my children and for my grandchildren. But such was the case in Israel. Israel wickedness multiplied. There was spiritual darkness and wickedness in the land. A divided kingdom, much like our country today, divided right down the middle. As Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And the devil knows that. We have forgotten that. But Israel was divided. They were divided in their faith between allegiance to the one true God and somehow serving Baal, this this fake God who the king and his wife convinced held some kind of power over nature. And so it was in a spiritual sense midnight in the land of Israel. And suddenly, in this situation, through the spiritual darkness, a man by the name of Elijah appears from nowhere with no real background, no warning. And he just flashes across the night sky like a meteor, and boom, he's there. And he just presents himself before the king and makes his direct statement As the God, uh, uh, the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And when you look at this first verse, there's three things that we are told about this man of God. We are told his name, we're told where he's from, and we see the style of his preaching. Hallelujah. When you look at his name, Elijah, in the Hebrew, you see the derivative, the base of that name, E-L. El is short for Elohim, the plural name of God. Many times in the Bible you see God, it says Elohim in Hebrew, Elohim. It is the total sum majesty of the supreme one invisible God who is a spirit. El, Elohim, God. And the second part of his name, which says Yah, uh, is, is a reference to Jehovah, Yah, Yahweh. Amen. It is, uh, it, it is Jehovah, the, the, the Savior, the self-sustaining one. It is the revealer. It is the deliverer, the Savior. That's who Jehovah is. And so you have El, God. You have Yah, Jehovah. And then you have that little I in the middle. In Hebrew, it means my or mine. So God is my hallelujah, Savior. But it is my God is Jehovah, or the Lord is my God. And so when you say Lord, it's all capital letters, it always refers to Jehovah, the the, the saving, delivering name, the redeeming name, the redemption name of God in which he reveals his redemption, where he reveals his salvation, where he reveals his provision. So Elijah's name, the very name that God uses to proclaim this prophecy to this wicked king is a man who's called, the Lord is my God. Not Baal, hallelujah, but God, the God of Israel. He proclaims that, amen the Lord of Israel, before whom I stand. And so the other thing it tells us is that, that, that this Tishbite, Elijah's from Gilead. Not many people know we still don't know where Tishbe is. But Gilead is in Transjordan, eastern eastern part of the, of the shores of the Jordan River. And, uh, and, and it's, it's like Jordan today, the country of Jordan, that area. And it's Gilead. And uh, there were mountainous people. It's In fact, uh, the word uh, Gilead, uh, means rocky region or hill country. And it's the Gileadites who lived in these areas that, uh, that controlled the mountain passes coming from the eastern side uh, of, of, of Jordan to the river its, itself. So whoever had, wanted to come to get water from Jordan had to go through these mountain passes. And the Gileadites were the ones who protected these passes. And nobody could pass if they weren't in favor of them. Amen. You, you did not let the enemy pass to come through there. They were rugged people. They were mountain people. They were hill people. And that's the kind of person that, that, that uh, Elijah was. He wasn't a polished person. He wasn't, wasn't, uh, you know, upper class. He wasn't uppercut. He wasn't wasn't fine. He wasn't, you know, distinguished. He was very much, you know, crude and rude in some respects. Coarse, you might suspect. Uh, and, and, And that's the kind of a man that God called to speak up and stand before this wicked king of Israel. And we see right away from his his style that he was very direct. Notice this. No introduction. How you doing, king? Uh, I'm Elijah. Uh, Your majesty. Honor to the king. Um, How you doing today? Great weather we're having. None of that stuff. No protocol. No pleasantries. No formal introductions. No fear. No hesitation, no protocols are followed whatsoever except he stands before God. And he stands before this king. He says, thus does the Lord God of Israel before whom I stand. There's not going to be any rain, not even dew on the land except by my word. And he walks off. Short, direct, clear, no hesitation, no stuttering and no stammering. And that's the kind of man that God used, hallelujah, to introduce this prophet to this wicked king. Now, he was challenging Baal right off the bat. And because, uh, you know, Baal was supposed to be the one that controlled weather and the crops on the land and, and all that. So, okay, we'll see who's God. The Lord God of Israel sent me, and by my word, there going be no rain and no dew, no water. That means you're not going to have any crops. That means your cattle will die and starve. And most of them will. And see if Baal can do something about it. And you recall that the next time that, that, uh, that, that, that Ahab and Elijah meets, it's at Mount Carmel, and, and Elijah says, Rain's coming, but call me the prophets of Baal and of Asherah, and let's have a showdown. And that's when fire comes down from heaven. But that's in the future now. We're still here very much at the beginning. And this, and this battle, this struggle between good and evil, this, this struggle between truth and between a lie, this struggle between an idol and the one true God in the world, amen, continues. But the gauntlet was thrown down right here in the first, uh, uh, first verse of chapter 17 of 1 Kings. You know, when when Elijah stood before this king, he really stood alone. And that's really what I'm I'm, I'm I'm looking to, to preach to you this morning. Standing alone. What happens when you stand alone? God is looking for men and women even today, young and old, who can stand alone in a wicked generation. Ezekiel 22.30, we read from another prophet, and I searched for a man. This is God talking through the prophet. And I searched for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found not. This much later on in the life of Israel and Judah, as Ezekiel is prophesying. And God says, I was looking for somebody, just one person, to stand before me and between a lost and dying world, between my people who are dying, my people who are in sin, my people who are in for darkness. And I wanted somebody to stand in front of me and plead for mercy for them. I want them to intercede for them and pray for them and asked that I would be merciful and gracious, that I would show my goodness to them indeed, who I am. But I found nobody, nobody cared about their country. Nobody cared about their people. Nobody cared about their children or their grandchildren. They did not intercede, and therefore, I was forced to destroy it. I was forced to bring judgment upon them. Folks, we're in that same period of time spiritually. God is looking for somebody. God is searching for somebody that can stand in the gap. Somebody that's willing to take this mantle upon them. This mantle of prayer and standing in the gap and and making up the difference between a holy God and a lost and, and, and dying world. And it could be you. It doesn't have to be somebody special. It doesn't have to be somebody refined. It doesn't have to be somebody old or somebody too young. Amen. It doesn't have to be somebody who's educated. It doesn't have to be somebody with special skills. It just has to be somebody that's got the backbone and the courage and the will to stand before God and stand before wickedness and evil and say, that's wrong. It's not true. And that's where we are. Because one person can make all the difference in the world. God is looking for somebody to proclaim this truth. See, when when God came to confront Ahab and Jezebel, he didn't raise an army. He could have. Many times he uses other nations to bring judgment upon his people, and he has, and he will. 300 years later, amen. Amen. Assyria comes and wipes out Israel and takes them captive, and most of them never return. But in this particular case, when he's dealing with a king, he didn't raise an army. He didn't raise some academic or some orator. He just called a plain, ordinary, straight-spoken Elijah. So I'm here to encourage you, don't discount yourself for The way that you look at yourself. Maybe you're unpolished. Maybe you don't feel capable. Maybe you don't feel like you're an orator and you're not anybody that that God can use. Oh, no, 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 no. Quite the contrary. You're exactly what God's looking for. You could be a a candle, a baker, a hallelujah, a, a candle maker. Amen. Butcher baker, a candlestick maker. That's what I'm looking for. Amen. One of those. You could be a housewife. You could be a homemaker. You can be a single mother. You could be divorced. You could be a widow. You could be retired. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. God can and wants to use you. He's searching for that one. Hallelujah. And I pray to God that you be one of them. You know, David's brothers looked down on him, the 17-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old teenager, and he defeated Goliath. Joseph's brothers discounted him. Oh, Joseph, yeah, Yeah, you're in your wild dreams. Yeah, God uses people like that. Amen. Joshua, yeah, that guy, you know, has everybody march around, you know, Jericho seven times and seven times on the seventh day and then blow trumpets. Yeah, right, you know. A lot of the good that's going to do. Nobody said that because they didn't have an opportunity. God said when you march around, I want everybody to keep their mouth shut. Nobody can say anything. There's a virtue in staying silent, especially when you're under the gun, when you're looking for a victory. Oh, hallelujah, be careful what you say. Confess the promises of God. Don't be complaining, criticizing, griping. How hallelujah, how bad you got it, how bad it is. Oh, no, no, just thank God for the goodness. Count your blessings, name them one by one. You focus on him because better days are coming. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But when we're standing in the gap alone, honestly, you and I are standing before God. When you stand for good and against evil, when you're standing for right, against for that which is wrong, when you're standing for a truth, standing for truth against a lie, you're always standing alone, and you're standing before God, and he's with you. No matter what your role in life is, you're not unimportant to God when you stand and you stand alone. You're the most important person in the world to God when you stand alone for truth. The whole world may be against you, but God is for you. And we've got to see that. We've got to understand that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can't be embarrassed. We can't be ashamed. There's, there's a downside to that. In Mark 8, 38, Jesus says this, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also, shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Amen. Now, I believe there's people in here that God wants to use uh, in, in ministry and the prophetics. And I will tell you that uh, Elijah, even though God called him to, to utter this word, that was just phase one of his training period. There's a lot of things that Elijah had yet to go through to become that man of God who has that mantle cast upon Elisha, his protege, and then he's called up to glory through the whirlwind and the chariots of fire. Amen. In fact, we read in uh, verse 4 that after he proclaims this uh, message to uh, King Ahab, he tells, God tells him, he said, Now I want you to go and uh, I want you to hide yourself. God says that. The word of the Lord came unto him saying, Get thee hence and turn the eastward and hide thyself by the brook Kerith. That is before Jordan. It's a tributary of the Jordan River. So he goes up a little further north and east further up and away, and God begins to deal with him. Now, God also says, I have spoken and commanded the ravens to bring you food morning and night, and you're going to have drink out of the water from the brook. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, this was basic training. It, 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 names in, in the Bible are very, very important. And when you look at the word kereth, uh, it, it, it means... To, to cut off, to cut down, and to se- separate. You know, it's cutting off and cutting down. It, it's God telling Elijah, I've got more work for you to do, but I've got to work on you. I've got greater things for you, but I want you to go to care because there's some lessons I want you to learn. And one of the first things that God began to deal with him is about his pride. How so? Well, I'm a prophet of God. I just spoke before the king and God used me. Yeah, God set him there to protect him, but also God set him there to protect him from himself. Oh, you think so? So you're such a a hot shot, such a big man, huh? You're going to be prophesying before the king of Israel. Such a great thing. Yes, it is. But now you know what? Elijah, I'm going to work on you because there's some things that I got to get out of you. He had this entitlement mentality. And so God put him through this this spiritual basic training. And you know, how many have ever been in the military? Let me see your hands. Thank you. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes. This is Damani. Jonathan. Hallelujah. I was in seven years. He was in 11. I don't know some of y'all. Amen. Praise God. Retired. When you go to basic training, one of the first things they do is they shave your head. Takes that pride away. And they take your clothes away, your identity. And they put on a uni, one a uniform so you look like everybody else. And you know what else they take away? They take away your iPhone. They take away your computer. They take away everything. You got no outside communication from the world. You have no television. You have no videos. You got no DVDs. You got no radio. You got nothing. Because the only voice they want you to hear is that drill instructor who wakes you up in the morning and says, up, Tells you when to go to bed. That tells you what your next step is. They teach you how to march. They teach you how to eat and what to eat. You don't get your choice. Oh, I want this and I want that. Uh-uh. And if they got too much weight on, they put you on the fat boy program. Sorry, that's the way you call it. You got only so many calories. I'm talking about basic training here. Only so many calories. You can't go anywhere you want to. You're stuck. And guess what? You don't have a nice king-sized bed in there also. You don't have all the comforts of home. You don't have mama serving you or or your wife or somebody, hallelujah, you're used to waiting on you. No, 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 you better do it all by yourself. You got to make your own bed. And that cot is not very comfortable, is a sister Martha. Hallelujah. She was in the army, hallelujah. It's not comfortable, hallelujah. And that's what God is doing to Elijah. Elijah, I want to cut you off from involvement out there. There's some stuff in you I want to get out of you. I want you to understand who you are and whose you are. Amen. And you might think, now that you're a prophet and uttered big things before the king, Amen. that you're a hotshot and you're a big man and, you know, and you're entitled to certain things. No, I'm going to set you aside for a little while. I want you to learn some things. Number one, I want you to learn to set aside some of the big dreams you might have. Some of those things that of you and not of me, I wanted to die. In fact, Elijah, when you're here down by this brook, all you're going to have is a little food that i bring you and a little water to keep you alive. And notice, there's no shelter involved. But I'm a prophet of God. I deserve a big house. I deserve a mansion. Look at how God used me before the king of Israel. Amen. And I, I, I you know, I, I think I deserve a little more than just being out here in the wilderness by myself. Nobody to applaud me, nobody to preach to. And God said, I was time. I'm trying to preach to you. I'm trying to still all the voices of the outside, external voices that's coming at you. I want you to hear no voice but mine. Because I'm going to be your drill instructor for the next year or two years. And I want you to learn some things that depend on me. And notice Paul has something similar to say to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Another man of God. Speaking to a younger man of God. You know what he says? But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Oh, watch this. Come on, children of God. You want to be used by God? You want to be in the ministry? And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Having food and raiment. Hallelujah. Having food and raiment. That's enough. You don't need a big house. You know what? I have a big house now, the first time in my life. But there was a lot of time I, I never had a house like this. But my old age, I, I do. Hallelujah. And you know what? I'm going to have a mansion when I get up there. Amen. Praise God. So will you. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know what it's like when I said, God, use me. And you know, he put me in a, in a 7 by 21 foot little motor home with four, four of us in our family. And that became five on the road. Can you lift went in a seven by, by twenty by twenty-one feet? That's with motor and everything else. With with five in your family? For about twenty-two months. And then the next time around, it was twenty-seven feet. <laughs> Praise God. But the kids were bigger, so I got an extra, you know, six feet. Jonathan was bigger and older, and so was Amy and Sonya. They were all getting big. We got a, you know, in the 1990s, we got a 27-foot motorhome. Wow, the missionary is rich. He's, yeah. You live in that thing for 24 months. You travel the world. You have a service every other day someplace else in the country. Oh, but God, I'm preaching the gospel to the lost all over the world. Yeah? So what? Elijah, I'm preaching to the king. Elijah, I want you to to stay here in Kareth, and every day I'm going to feed you and provide for you. You may not have everything you want, but you'll have everything you'll need. And I want you to trust me. I want you to learn to trust me. I'm not going to give you groceries once a month and give you a big supply because you got no place to store it anyway. But every day, a little bird's going to come along and he's going to bring you a morsel of food and then you drink out of the gurk. And evening, is going to be the same thing. No lunch. What? No lunch? No lunch. No coffee? No latte? No Starbucks? No. Morning and night, that's all. Notice this. If you were there and God put you in care, of, how would you feel if, yeah, okay, the first day, here comes your breakfast. And then here comes your dinner. And then you sit there, you wonder, is this really going to last? And The next day, Sister Ann, you have to get used to, you know, trusting God that that bird's going to show up. You know the water was there. Thank God. But that bird... Hey, those ravens, they're fickle, you know. But not, not not when God's got his hand on them. And God directed that raven every day. That that, that selfish, envious raven shared his food with a prophet of God. Now, that's a miracle. Oh, hey, it's proved that God can overcome human nature and instinct of animals. He can't. He's the one who ordained and controlled it. And so that bird brings every day, every day, every day. And so every day, what happens is is Elijah is learning God's faithfulness. And he's learning to have faith in God time and again, right? And it's strengthening his faith so that when, in combination with hearing the voice of God every day, he's got time now to listen just for God. Nothing else. No television, no radio, no media. Nothing, no human beings, just God and the trickling of the water coming through the rocks and the creek. And God speaks to him every day as he speaks to God. Another thing God was working on here is his habits. There were some habits that he needed to get into and get out of. And when you're set aside from people, you know, you got got time to work on on some things in your life. I think in modern day Kareth is a hospital stay. When you want to hear the voice of God, just get in the hospital for a week or two. Hallelujah. If God wants you to pray, he knows how to do it. He gives you a medical condition. Hallelujah. Allows it to come upon you. And you're in there you say, oh, God, I've been waiting on you. Hallelujah. It's about time you call. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here's Elijah, he's, and he's, he's learning to talk to God. He's learning to, to, to really be in tune with the voice of God. As learning God's faithfulness. And in that time, God's also dealing with some stuff inside of him, too. This his fears, his humanness. What's the future gonna hold? What am I gonna do? Where am I gonna go? What's after this? God didn't tell him. He just tell him, I want you to be in this place until further notice. Could you do that? Now, a lot of times when 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 you want to be used by God, and God has plans for you. Many times, He'll do just this very same thing with you as He did with Elijah. He sets you aside. Yeah, he, does. Yeah, he, does. Come on, man. he sets you, but God called me. I know He did. But there's some things you got to learn. You got to learn to deal with your pride, you got you to learn to suppress. There's some things that got to die out in you. You've got to change your plans. You've got to submit everything to me. It's not all about you. If you want to be used, it's going to have to be about me and not about you. It's going to be my kingdom and my word, not your kingdom, not your word, not your will. It's going to be my will. And that can only die out at Kareth. All of us, every one of us has that place and a time in our life. What God sets us apart, Well, you feel, well, God's not using me, what am I coming to church for? What I, all I do is just come day by day. Yeah, you're learning to be faithful, and you're learning the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and everything else that you need to do to be prepared to be a greater vessel in his hand. Mm. It's not a pleasant time, not a pleasant place to be in. We're all by yourself. Nobody cares about me. God doesn't care about me yes he does he gives you everything you need every day yeah but I don't have it like you know Joe so and so it don't matter hallelujah it's you he's working on you may not have everything that you want but you're going to have everything you need hallelujah oh clap your hands a little say, praise the Lord stand with me if you will Praise God. Hallelujah. Nobody likes to be in boot camp. Boot camp is where they they cut you down to size. You ever hear that? We're going to cut you down. We're going to cut you down to size, boy. You think you're somebody? You're nobody. You belong to Uncle Sam now. Here's your uniform. Praise God. At Careth, God deals with our resentments too. It's this entitlements, you know, surely, surely I can do better. Surely there's some other things that God wants me. Surely I could have some more enjoyment, some more pleasantries. Just wait. Which is more important to you? Is it the power of God? Is it the word of God? Or is it things? That you can't take out of this world with you. We brought nothing into this world that we won't take anything out. The only thing we'll take out is who we are, not what we have. Our character, our faith, our hope, our love that goes with us, our memories. But God is working on us, and maybe you're at Careth right now. Maybe you feel set aside. You feel like God's ignoring you, and He's not. He's actually working on you and preparing you, and He's dealing with your dreams, your ambitions. He's dealing with your habits. Hello? Everybody say habits. Yes. See, at Kareth, Elijah didn't have an excuse well, wait a minute Lord I don't have time to pray I got to go fix the car here the chariot <laughs> I, I, I got things to do I got to run to the local store I got to, I got to go to work I got to do this no it cares you got nothing all you got is bread in the morning bread at night water in between but God doesn't hate you. Far from it. He loves you. He, and he's preparing you. He's answering your prayer. God, use me. God, use me. And if you want to be used by God, stand in the gap. In 2022, when this country is divided, when there's more people in wickedness and, and bondage of sin ever before God needs men and women of courage, young and old who can stand in the gap and say what is right and what is wrong and say that there's only one God and His name is Jesus I'm not talking about being obstinate I'm talking about when there's an opportunity opportunity to speak our mind. Don't be silent. Stand strong even when you stand alone. Young people, when you're at school, I know it's hard. My, what a difference 60 years next. 60 years ago, my teacher used to invite me out to the church. Today, you go in jail for that. Practically. You could proclaim God. You can talk about God. You could bring and read your Bible. Can't do that now. Stand. Because when you're standing alone, you're standing before God. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Maybe you're not strong. You're not there yet. I realize that. That's why God's going to send you to Kareth and to Zarephath. That's down the road. He's going to send you on some other assignments to build your faith, expand your ministry. But it all starts here at Kareth. Cut down the size. It's where ideas and our plans are reshaped. And the will of God begins to be formed in our lives. Close your eyes for a moment and just bow your heads. Lord God Almighty, you know each and every heart in this place. Lord, you know who you have called. You know those, oh Lord God, that have not yet responded to the call. And yet, some you've already set aside It careth You set aside from use, so oh Lord, but you're working in that. They Still, have the desire in you, and I pray, oh Lord, that that desire, if it be dormant, that would be it would come to life. And I pray, oh Lord, right now for those who are unsure, those who are weak and aren't bold and lack courage. I come against a fear that is dominant in their hearts and their lives. I pray, oh God, against this fear, and I pray that fearlessness comes into God, I pray for those that want to stand in the gap. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I want to tell you, God is searching for somebody standing in the gap. If you're one of those, if God has called you, hallelujah, I want you to come to the front I want you to pray. I want you to come and pray. Pray for yourself, but pray for this nation. Pray for the lost. Begin to practice your calling by standing in the gap. Calling upon God for the lost. Calling upon God for the backsliders. Calling upon God for your loved ones that need Him in their lives. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody should be coming. You got to have somebody you can pray for. Isn't there somebody you can pray for? Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't there somebody that you know that you've got to intercede and pray for? Hallelujah. It's a pride getting in the way of lifting your hands and, and lifting.